new. Amen. The start of our service. We're going to be in 2 Samuel this morning. 2 Samuel, as you find your place. Uh, you know, as you were a child in Sunday school, as you attended, uh, as you've been in church over your life, you probably heard a lot of lessons or a lot of stories about David. David as a shepherd boy, or maybe tending his sheep and fending off the lion and the bear, or maybe how brave he was when he was, when he, when he was a warrior and he, he defeated the giant Goliath. You may, you, may, you may have even memorized the 23rd Psalm. You know that one. The Lord is my shepherd. One, one of the most popular psalms in, in, in God's Word. I'm sure you heard sermons, a lot of sermons about David, uh, maybe about how he was a young officer in King Saul's army. Uh, he was a national hero. He was the best friend to Prince Jonathan. Uh, maybe you, you heard sermons about the insane jealousy that, that entered King Saul's heart and his attempts to even kill David as faithful servant and, and David having, having to go into hiding in order to escape him. Yet during those years, David still remained strong in his faith in God, strong in his loyalty to Saul, and strong in his loyalty to Israel. Uh, he, even had a, he even had an easy opportunity to kill Saul, but he remained faithful and he didn't do it. He, he simply escaped Saul's attempts to kill him, he ref, and, and he refused to act out against Saul. And, Saul. and instead, he, he appealed for reconciliation. He, he appealed for a mending of that relationship, but Saul wouldn't have it. Then after both King Saul and Prince Jonathan had died, the tribes of Judah, uh, the, the tribes of Judah, uh, oh, lost my spot. The tribes of Judah, Judah and Benjamin chose David to be their king. And shortly later, all 12 tribes of Israel chose David to be their king, chose him to represent all of them. And David reigned. He was king for 40 years, for 40 years of victories over foreign enemies, 40 years uh, 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 even uh, establishing Israel as a nation to be reckoned with, a nation to be feared in the area, a nation that, that, that was popular and, and of the world of that day. It was the beginning of the golden age for the, for the country of Israel. But with that success came temptations and came trials. That's often the case in our lives, isn't it? We reach a pinnacle, we reach a high, we reach some success in our lives. Oftentimes, it's a time of great temptation, and it's a time of great trials. He, he had his sin with Bathsheba and, and its bitter aftermath. Uh, it led to the prophet Nathan coming and pointing his finger at David and, and naming his sin out and saying, you are the man. You are the man that, that, that I have been talking about. And he was pointing David's sin out to him. David's anguish and, and his repentance, it, it led to the writing of the 51st Psalm and the pouring out of his heart to God. And then came the conflict with his own family. He had son against son. One son killed another son. He, the, the, the son that survived, he, he even turned against his father and started a civil war and tried to seize the throne from his own father. And, and, and when, he, when he died, when that son was killed and he died, even David, even though he had turned against him, even though that son had, had turned and tried to take the throne away from him, David had obvious anguish and pain over that son's death. And as, as David's life was long and an and, and eventful one, he made mistakes. He sinned. He, but he truly, truly repented. If you look into David's heart and his actions and his reactions, God's word proclaims that David was a man after God's own heart. 
God declared that one day a descendant of David would be the promised Messiah, would be our Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm not going to look at David and all of his triumphs of youth and his victories, but I want to look at his accomplishments and victories as an old man. He is described in our verse as the lamp of Israel. Look at me in 2 Samuel chapter 21. I'm going to begin in verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Espenob, which was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have, David, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Uriah, scoured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the example that David gives us in your word. I thank you for the examples that we can follow in our lives of, of what he encountered in his life. He encountered great victories. He encountered great low points, Lord. He failed you, and yet he served you greatly. And he's described after his repentance, after his service to you, he is described after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. Oh, for us to be described that way one day, Lord. I'm thankful for your mercy. I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for all the things you do in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If I asked you this morning, who is Donald Trump? What if I asked you this morning, who is Kirby Smart? You would say, well, the first one you would say, Donald Trump used to be president of the United States. Kirby Smart is the coach of the University of Georgia. He had a close one yesterday. I bet he said a few prayers. Amen. But those answers are not wrong. But I, people are much more than the job or the title that they happen to have. See, today we associate people with what they do. So much so that when that person ceases doing it, when they stop doing it, when they quit, or when they retire, uh, that we, we tend to treat them different. We tend to look at them differently. We, we, we look at them as if they're not the same as they once were. They're, they're, they're not as much as they once were. And I'm going to tell you that's, that's tragic. That's tragic. Because we're so much more than the things that we do, than what we do. We need to recognize that there are things that we do to earn a living, and then there are other, there are other things that we possess. There are things that we possess for a brief period of time. But, but then there are those who, things that we really are. Not so much the things that might identify us through our careers or, or, or through our work or things of that nature, but the things that we truly are. Uh, our character, our inner being. That, that, we need to recognize and understand those things about each and one of us. So if we look at David this morning, and I had to introduce him for our message this morning, uh, we could say that he was a mighty warrior. He was the king of Israel. But that's what he did. That's what he did. And, and not necessarily who he was. I want us to help us understand who David was this morning. And by doing that, I want to look at David's retirement. I want to look what he did after being king. What he did after being a warrior. 
Well, he was still king, but after he was being, being a warrior. David had been king for a long time. His kingdom was still growing. Money was coming into the treasury. He, the army was strong. It, it was defeating enemy after enemy around one after another around him. Everything that David was doing, it was all going his way. In our text this morning, he was about 60 years old. That was approximately his age at about this time. The bugle blows. The call to war is sounded. The army of Israel is gathering once again to battle who? The same enemy they battled over and over again, the Philistines. Without hesitation, you can picture it. Uh, David grabs his sword, he grabs his armor, and he's ready to lead his troops. He's ready to lead them off to war. Now you need to remember that David was a great warrior. While he was a great king, David was a great warrior. He goes down in history, he goes down in God's word, and one of the greatest warriors of all time. Uh, one of the greatest men to ever hold a spear or, and a sword. He had 30 mighty men beside him. That's what he called, uh, I don't know if you want to call it the king's protection or the king's the king's squad, whatever you want to call it. But he had, he had what they called 30 mighty men around him and they were the greatest fighters of Israel's army. They had the strength, they said they had the, those the mighty men had the strength of a hundred. They had the strength of a hundred and they, they were the greatest of all and David was greater than any of them. Now, they went off to war, and I'd imagine as they were going off to war, David probably thought about some of his major victories before. He may have thought of how he killed Goliath when he was young. He may have thought of how he killed the lion and the bear when he was young. I'm sure as you're going into victory, you're going to, as you're going into war, you're going to draw on your past experience. You're going to draw on your past victories to give you the confidence to win the victory of tomorrow. And I'm sure that's what he was doing. He, he, he was strong in his mind. He, he felt good. He, felt, he, he was still strong in his mind and in his heart his mind was as king and as sharp as it as it ever was and he was ready to do battle once again so david he leads his men to war but the bible says that in the heat of the battle david waxed faint that's what our text says he waxed faint if you read some other translations they add that he stumbled and fell now my father-in-law i loved him to death you would ask him, and men would come up and ask him, and they say, Howard, how are you doing today? How are you feeling today? He says, well, he says, I'm doing pretty good. And you got to understand, he was a senior. He was a senior. He says, I'm doing, feeling pretty good today. He says, but if I just get rid of that old non-ditchalitis. And they look at him, and they say, non-ditch, I've never heard of that. What's that? He says, well, I just can't jump over those ditches like I used to. There comes a point in our lives we can't jump over the ditches like we used to. As I can picture David as he's laying there on the ground, and here's one of Goliath's sons or one of his cousins, and they're coming at him with his new, with his bronze spear and his new sword, and 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 he is ready to finish David off. And if it had not been for Abishai, David would have been killed. But Abishai, one of his thirty mighty men, came to his rescue and he killed the Philistine. I assume you could picture him helping his king up. I imagine that as they walked together, he perhaps helped him back to camp or he helped him to the back of the lines. I don't know exactly how it happened. God doesn't word, doesn't, word doesn't specifically tell us that, but, but it makes sense that if he just saved his life, he's, he's not going to leave his king laying there on the ground. Amen. He's going to pick him, he's going to protect him, and he's going to get him back to safety to the, to the back of the lines. And I can imagine maybe David saying, I'm okay, I, I just lost my footing. It's going to be okay. I, I just tripped up. I just, I just lost my footing and, and went to the ground. I, I know I could have taken him. God would have protected me. I know I would have taken him. 
and I'll bring the fight to him again tomorrow. But that night, I, I could picture David and his mighty men sitting around a campfire of the camp, maybe talking over the events of the day, and I can imagine that at some point there was a long silence. And I'd imagine some of his men that loved him so much. Those mighty, any one of those mighty men would give their life for him gladly. And I can imagine maybe some throats were got, began to get clear <clears throat> as they knew they had to have the conversation. And finally someone said, David, my king, I think you need to go home. It's time for you to retire from fighting. You're too valuable to the kingdom to stay out here and risk your life in battle. It's time for you to go home. Maybe there was another pause. Maybe David tried to protest. Maybe David tried to make his case that he was as strong as ever or insist that he had one more battle in him, but they insisted. As you watch it unfold, as you can imagine how it unfolds, uh, just picture the old warrior climbing back onto his chariot. Muscles that were weren't strong and taut are now growing weak. Hair that once blazed in the sun is now silver. A face that was once ruddy and handsome is now etched with long lines of age. And a worn man is riding off to a place of safety. A mighty warrior is going into retirement. Kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, that, type of, that time of change, that, that time of change is, is difficult in all of our lives. If you are lucky enough to live that long, that time of change that we all must face is a very hard thing and a challenging thing for us to face as we get to that point in life. I remember years ago, I saw an old newsreel I, when I was of, of Cassius Clay, and it was him celebrating his 50th birthday. Y'all may not recognize, you younger people may not recognize the name Cassius Clay, but that was his name before he became Muhammad Ali. You recognize that one, I'm sure. One of the greatest boxers of all times. I remember watching him. Back in that day, I would watch him on Sunday afternoons on the wide world of sports. You remember how that started and the skiers <coughs> came down and wiped out all the towers as he went off that building. That's what I remember about why everybody knows that scene from Wide World of Sports. But that's where you saw boxing back then. You didn't have to pay extra or pay-per-view. It came on Sunday afternoons on the wide world of sports. But I remember seeing a clip, and it was of Muhammad Ali's 50th birthday party, and I watched him. I remember watching him as a kid, and, and he, he was described as a, he, that he fluttered like a butterfly and he stung like a bee. He, he, I remember how he would dodge and buy and move around the ring and, and just totally avoid and miss blows by the opponents that, that couldn't land a shot on him. And I remember how his, how his left hook and his right jab were, were feared by other fighters. They, they were vicious punch, and fighters were actually afraid of him. And I remember when he was the fastest thing on two feet, he, he would shout around the feet, the, the, he would shout around the ring and holler that he was the greatest. He was the greatest after he won a victory. But by the time of this newsreel, when he was 50 years old, he was slow of speech and slow of step. Some said that he had taken too many punches to the head. Maybe too many years had come and gone, but one thing was sure the mighty boxer's time was past. And here's David in our text, a mighty warrior. And he could have sat back and he could have just stepped into the shadows and could have allowed just to, to, to sit on the throne and not do a lot because his party was over. Many people choose to do that when they reach that stage in life. But see, David did not schedule his own retirement party. It was actually planned by somebody else. 
He, he, he probably wasn't quite ready for the event when it happened. He, he probably wasn't real happy about the event when it happened. We are all too often not ready when that diagnosis of non-ditulitis hits us one morning and we realize that we cannot do the things maybe that we used to been doing all of our lives. David was told, never again will you go in, bus, would buy into, go in with us into battle. That part of your life is over. But that's not the end of our text because they said you are and always will be the lamp of Israel. They realized how important it was and they said that lamp cannot be extinguished. So David began another chapter in his life. And I want to call it Let It Shine. What did David do when he got home? He, he didn't sit back and vegetate. He, he, he didn't sit back and go fishing. He didn't just drip, drift off into a peaceful oblivion and sit on his throne and command others to do what he didn't want to do. He didn't sit back in his easy chair and just let life pass him by. No, not David. He, he was the lamp of Israel. And some of his greatest moments, some of his greatest contributions were done in these later years of his life. You know the first thing he did? He started buying ground to which to build the temple of God, a place to house the Ark of the Covenant. He started calling the, the, the architects and, and drawing up the plans for the temple. He bought the materials. He made arrangements with contractors. I mean, that was one of his retirement projects. He did everything he needed to do to rebuild the temple of God so that he could serve God more than he ever had. He never got to build it. He left it for his son Solomon to build. But he got the groundwork. He got the materials. He got everything that was needed in order to allow Solomon to build that temple. He did it in his golden years. He did it in his senior years. David also got busy writing some of his greatest songs. We, we, when you hurt, when you're discouraged, when, when people are mourning, when you are in a storm, when you're depressed, when, when you're stressed out and you can't find God, you don't hear from God, you, you don't sense His Spirit, you, you, you just don't feel Him anymore and you're in a struggle of your life, can I tell you something? You don't, you don't, go, and, you don't go and read the, the book of Samuel or the book of Ezra. No, you go to the book of Psalms because that's where you find peace. That's where you find comfort. That's where you find forgiveness. That's where you find strength. That's where you, that, that's what reminds you of your relationship with God and how good he is. It's all, those are all found in the book of Psalms. And that is some of David's greatest work. And they were written by an old man who was, who was just too old to fight anymore. He was no longer a warrior, but he was still the lamp of Israel. He still let his light shine. And it shined in the book of Psalms. All of us go through places in life and times when our energy is, is at its peak and times when we have courage and strength and times when we fight the battles and we have great victories on the front line. And David serves Israel well in his youth and he had all of those moments. But there comes a time to start the next chapter of life. And David didn't give up and he didn't vegetate. He, he made some of the greatest contributions to God. He served God greater in this part of his life than he did earlier in his life. You see, now, I want you to think with me about older people this evening or this morning. Older people in church today. I'm sure you realize that, that, that we are experiencing in America what many are calling the graying of America. And while the older population is ceasing, increasing, the youth population is actually shrinking. In fact, for the first time in history, the fastest growing age group in the U.S., according to the census, is people 70 years of age and older. 
Now, I realize older generations, we, that we can be hard to work with sometimes. If you've ever cared for an older grandparent or an older parent, you can grasp and understand a little bit of what I'm talking about there. In fact, one of my prayers often is, as I'm, I'm starting to fit more and more into that category each day, one of my prayers is, God, save me from being a crouchy old man. Help me age with grace and mercy like I've seen so many, so many children of God do. So I want to list a few characteristics this morning of being old because characteristics of being old does not necessarily relate to your age. I want you to get that. Characteristics of old has, does, not, does not relate to your age. If you have some of these characteristics, you can have these characteristics whether you are 25 or 85 or anywhere in between. Some people are old even though they're only 25 years old. You ever, you ever known any old men that were 25 years old? I've known a few, okay? It's as if they have become their parents at an early age. It's funny that progressive, progressive insurance company, they, I don't know if you've seen them recently, but they, their modern, their recent commercials, the one they're running right now, are, are commercials and they're related to children who are becoming their parents. Uh, I got to watch this video. She's going to play this video for you. Watch this video right here. And you see what I'm talking about, about how characteristics are not necessarily age related. This book has helped me reach so many young homeowners who have become their parents. Hey, what's the lowest you'll go on one of these books? Well, remember, no agony is towards. Ah, yeah, chapter six. Yeah, they may have read the book, but they still have a long way to go. Don't forget your John Hancock on there. Let's just call it a signature. I noticed there weren't any refreshments, so I'm just going to leave a couple of snacks. Folks, the line's a shambles. Let's tuck it in, sir. Come on. Come on. Okay. Um, Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can't protect your home. Who would you bundle with us? We don't need a line monitor. No. Oh, $20 for a t-shirt. Tell me the oil change. You feel that? You want full dad joke? Dad jokes are sad jokes. You'll get there. If you've ever thought people could use your help lining up properly, watch more helpful videos here. <laughs> they have a whole series of them. And it's a this great commercial. It's a great commercials about children becoming their parents. They, they take on those characteristics and, and how to keep from doing that. So as I talk about these characteristics of age, I want you to remember I'm talking about characteristics of being old, not age, okay? There we go. She'll get it. We're all right. There we go. She's on track. First of all, old people can make mountains out of molehills. Uh, they have a can't-do complex. They're convinced that it won't work even before you suggest it because they're often thinking about what's going to go wrong or what, what's not going to go right versus how it may turn out, what the expectations will be when it works out and it succeeds. Secondly, they often are resistant to change. They, they like what they've known their whole lives. They like the ruts. They, they like their predictability. They like their routines. And everything should stay the way that they remember it. They may say, we never did it that way before. And if we didn't do it that way before, it just stands to reason that we shouldn't do it that way now. The problem is, is that the world changes it changes whether we want it to change or we don't want it to change. It changes, and it changes around us. And you can either choose to stay in the lane and the routine and the rut that you're in, or you can choose to change with it, to change in a, a good way with it. 
And uh, the question is, are you going to live in it or are you going to stay in yesterday? Are you going to live in today and tomorrow or are you going to live in last week? The problem is the world's going to change whether we want it to or not. And you have a choice to stay in it, to change and modify and to stay in it or to live in the past. There's a preacher that tells a lady about a congregation I heard not long ago about her. She was in her 70s and she always traveled with a youth group. We actually kind of had a lady like that in our church. And uh, she, she loved the young praise team. We had a lot of 20-somethings on our praise team, and she loved them. And she would come to their practices. You, all, you, you could always find her there with her foot tapping. And she would get excited, and she would cheer them on, and she would encourage them. Uh, she would come to the practices. She would enjoy it. And, and someone asked her one day, they said, well, do you like this music? Do you like what it is that what, what they are doing? And she said, "For say, um, of course not. That's not my type of music. I, I don't like that. But I love those children. I love to see them serve God. It encourages me. It energizes me. And I love those kids. You see, we have a choice. We have a choice of to step into tomorrow and, and welcome and welcome changes and, and welcome worshiping God and, and encourage the generations that aren't like us. I got news for you. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren aren't so much like you the way you sit here today. Okay? They worship different. They may praise different. They may serve different. But the key is, is that they are close relationship with God. The key is that they are walking in His Spirit. The key is that they are learning and serving and they put in their faith and trust in Him and they are serving. And it may not be the exact same way that you like it. It may not be the exact same way that you did it. But it is important that they do it. And we ought to encourage and love them and, and, and encourage them to do that. Thirdly, people, they, they, they say they, they love to glory in their past. Because they're always wishing that things were like they used to be. The best people, the best churches, the best music, it was all yesterday. It's not today. And they belong in the past. It's not reaching from the past, but wanting to live in it. It's not teaching from the past, but it's wanting to live in it. Our youth have a lot to learn from the past. I'm not saying we ought to forget the past. They, there is a lot that we can bring from yesterday and teach to tomorrow's generation. And they need it, and they, they can be encouraged by it. But we cannot expect them to live in it. We can't expect to take the phones out of the hands. We can't to take, expect to take the computers out of the hands. We can't expect to take all these modern conveniences, take the air conditioning out of the church, take the electricity out of the church, put an outhouse out there and let them use an outhouse. We can't expect to put them in the past generations. They're in today's world. They're in tomorrow's world. We can teach them things from the past. We can teach them values from the past. We can teach them the, 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 the solidarity of, of, and the truth of God's Word that never changes. Okay? But we've got to let them worship and, and, and do it their way and walk in God and walk with Him in His way. They like to glory in the past. Uh, they like to remember the characteristics of the past. A poet said it well. The lightning bug is brilliant, but he has no mind. He blunders through existence with his headlight on behind. If that's you, you're... Constantly looking in the past and wishing things were the way they used to be. We've got to look to tomorrow. But you don't have to be old. Whatever your age. My, my grandmother was 95 years old. She played a mandolin 
in a bluegrass band at 95 years old, and she traveled to high school auditoriums, elementary school auditoriums, nursing homes, playing in this band for years. Young is an attitude than it is about age. It's more about attitude than it is about age. And many of this church family are young. You are young. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful you have a young heart. I'm thankful you have a young spirit. You accept your age, whether you are 40 or 80. You are proud of every year. You are proud of every gray hair. You are proud of every wrinkle. You accept who you are, and you are thankful for the years that God has given you. Secondly, you're still young if you're not always living in the past, but you are encouraged and what is going on around you. You're thankful for what's going on around you today and you are excited. You're excited about what God's going to bring to you and what God's going to show you tomorrow. Thirdly, to be young, you're, you're still learning to wait on the Lord. We never, we never, we can always learn to be more patient on the Lord. Things don't always work out the way we think they ought to. But when you follow God, when you allow God to lead the way, you quickly find that Romans 8.28 will always hold true. It will always be faithful and true. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Some of the greatest things in our world were started by people who were retired or should have been retired or should have been because they, people thought that they were too old to work or to serve. Abraham left his home in Ur of Chaldees uh, to follow God to the promised land when he was 70 years old. Aaron was 83 and his baby brother Moses was 80 when God called them to lead the people, his people out of Egypt and out of slavery. Edison was 83 and was still working in his laboratory. Ben Franklin was 79 and was governor of Pennsylvania. Winston Churchill was 76 and prime minister of England during World War and led them through World War II. Albert Schweitzer was 90 years old and still practicing medicine in Africa. Just look around at some of the ministries in our very church that are led by the older members of this church, by, 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 by the senior members of this church. And I'm not saying that to offend anybody. I'm talking about age there. I'm not talking about the attitude. Because those people that run these, those ministries, they have an attitude of youth. Miss Gloria teaches the Sunday school class. Our ladies run the kitchen and they keep it running smooth for every event and every meal we have. We, we have ladies that, that still teach the youth and things of that nature. And they have a young attitude about them and they, and they serve in ways and it's amazing. No matter where you are in life, if you can't go, if you can't go into battle to the battlefront anymore, you can still be a lamp that shines. A lamp that shines for God. A lamp that shines for this church. A lamp that shines for this community. What, what an important responsibility. It's an important responsibility that falls on your shoulders of those people who are older in age. We need, to, we need to make sure that we leave a legacy for those who are coming after us, for the generation to come next. You need to be a lamp to these young couples, to these young families that are joining this church family now, that have a heart to serve God tomorrow. We need to teach them to be committed. We need to teach them how to work. We need to teach them how to give. That, you know, that is one of the biggest things that our generation can teach the youth of today is how to give. They don't trust those principles. You've seen those principles taught. You've seen them trusted. And you've seen them be faithful in your life 
over and over and over again. Young people, they, they haven't seen that. And it's hard when you start talking about giving, when you start talking about giving to the world, giving, to the, giving from your worldly job, giving from your, from your family, when you start talking about giving that to the church, to giving that to God's service, it's hard for them to commit and understand that, that, that God rewards that and gives back. Oftentimes, gives back tenfold. And they need to, the, 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 way, the best way for them to learn that is to learn it from you, to hear your stories. That prove God's word out. That's the best. They they hear the preacher talk about those things. They just think, well, he's talking about giving, so he can have a salary. That, that's what runs through most people's minds. That's what runs. It's not about giving back to the kingdom of God. It's not about giving to His service. That's what runs through their minds. But they need to hear from you how God rewards that and how they give because you've seen it over and over and over again in your lives. And they need to hear those stories of how you've stepped out on faith and, and you've done this ministry or you shared the gospel here and somebody got saved because you shared the gospel or somebody got saved because you served here and here and they came to church and they heard the word and they heard the gospel and maybe they got born again. They need to hear about those victories and learn from those things. So don't pull over and park. Roll up your sleeves and get busy. Some of the greatest things you can do for the kingdom of God are yet to be done. And it's up to you to do them. You see, when people vegetate, everybody loses. The individual loses. Your society and your church loses. The church loses. We, we lose the wisdom and the knowledge that helped you as a person and through your entire life. We lose that wisdom and knowledge and, and that we can gain from your stories and from your life. As you make your way up this morning for our invitation, please, Miss Kathy. As I pray, my prayer is that Christians can serve as a family, whether young, old, middle-aged, it doesn't matter. We all serve together. We all need to be doing great things for the kingdom of God that are not done yet. And we can do them. We have a vision for the church. God's, re God's already reinforced that vision over and over again in the short time I've been here. By, but we've seen it by adding families. We've seen it by youth saved. We've seen it over and go over that, that we are following the will of God here at Little Horse Creek. Just like Little Horse Creek has always done in 190 years of its existence. I promise you, this church is not the same today that it was 190 years ago. It's not. It doesn't look the same. We don't worship the same. The, we, we, we don't hold the standards the same. We, we, we're not as legal as they were in that day. I promise you, we, we have more great. We find more grace. We find more love in the Lord today than they did back then. I promise you. I promise you. You don't believe me? Pick up the history of the church and just read through it one time. You, you'll see about it. Things change. Things change, and, and we can serve the Lord. We can help guide these youth so that it is a positive production. Productive, exciting, in line with God changes. That's what we desire. That's what we want. And we know and set Little Horse Creek up for church up for tomorrow so that's here for another 190 years if the Lord doesn't come back. Still serving. Still giving the gospel. Still preaching the word of God. Still winning souls for the kingdom through Him. If you're outside of Jesus Christ this morning, I want to offer this invitation to you. Because you don't have an idea much of what I've talked about because this has been for the servant today. But I'm telling you that Christ died for you. He loves you. And He went to the cross for you this morning. And the only way for you to have
whole life, a complete life, is through trusting and following Him. Having a relationship through Him, being washed in the blood. He died for your sin and having that relationship restored with God. It's the only way you can feel whole. I personally believe every one of us when we're born, we are born with a whole. We all have His Holy Spirit within us. We are born with a whole. Because of sin, we are born as a sinner. It's not your fault as a baby. It's your father's fault, grandfather's fault, all the way back to Adam. It was Adam's fault, amen. But you were born with a hole within you. And we spend our entire lives looking to fill that hole. We may fill it with work. We may fill it with activities. We try to fill it with, we, we can try, try to fill it with substances. We try to fill it with anything we can grab hold of. But the only thing that fills it is when you get and accept the price that Christ paid for you on the cross. His Spirit resides in you and you in Him. It's the only thing that fills that hole. It's the only thing that can make you complete. It's the only thing that can make you and give you the strength and the grace and the love to walk through this life in joy and peace and comfort, no matter what you face, no matter what failures happen. It's to have that Lord and Savior that you can communicate with. You'll still have failures. You'll still have sin in your life. But oh, to know a Savior that can wash your feet, that can clean you each and every time, so that even in your older age, when you reach that point, I don't know, you just, you just draw closer to God. I'm, the older you get, the closer to God you get. I'm convinced of that. As I, I, I've lived it myself. As I, I've faced that retirement. I've faced those decisions. I've faced those changes. And it just seems I love and get closer to God with each day. And I'm thankful that, and I pray that, I don't know, maybe one day he'd save me. That I, there's a new change. He has all my God. Even with all my mistakes, even with all my failures, even with all the sin in my life that he's had to forgive me for, I am thankful I know a Savior that died on the cross for me and washed me in his blood that I could be forgiven. You stand this morning. Miss Kathy, if you play for me, please. We're going to have a short invitation. We're going, then we'll move straight into the Lord's Supper.